Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 39, Swedes on the Delaware. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you enjoy listening and would like to help out, then I would ask you to please consider signing up for membership. It costs $4.99 per month, and gives you access to the premium feed with an extra, exclusive episode once every two weeks. Just go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. Last time out, we introduced Sweden into the narrative, as we covered the bizarre New Sweden. The strange story of a Scandinavian state centred on the Baltic trying to build an empire on the Delaware River. King Gustavus II Adolphus and the Flemish merchant Wilhelm Oselnink had been pushing for this policy for some time, although when the new Swedish company was founded in 1635, Gustavus Adolphus had died, being replaced as monarch by his daughter Christina, who was born in 1626. Since she was only a child, real power passed to Axel Oxenstierna, the powerful chancellor. Oselink had been ruined by his unsuccessful attempts to form a colony, and so the role of lead merchant passed to Samuel Blomart, one of the chief investors and directors of the company who had formerly been a director of the Dutch West India Company. There was also Peter Minuit, who we have mentioned before as the German-born former director of New Netherland, who purchased Manhattan, and a few others who we haven't previously mentioned. Admiral Klaas Fleming, who would become director of the New Sweden Company, and the Dutch-born politician Peter Spiring. They would both represent government interests within the company. After gathering together their resources, an expedition made up of both Dutch and Swedes set out for America in 1637. It was made up of sailors and soldiers rather than settlers, and was primarily focused on exploration. The Swedes had not yet travelled to the New World, and the company had the mandate to trade and plant colonies on the North American continent, from Newfoundland to Florida. This is slightly misleading, though. As strange as it is to think about, we are only 30 years on from the founding of Jamestown. Most of the Atlantic seaboard had already been claimed by the Europeans. The French were firmly entrenched in the north, around the St. Lawrence. The Spanish had long been in Florida, and the Carolinas were part of their sphere of influence. The English had set up bases on the Chesapeake and Massachusetts Bay, and the Dutch were on the Hudson. There was only one real place for the Swedes to go, and that was Delaware, which may be why they had already identified that as their best possible target. The expedition arrived at the Delaware in 1638, and after they had learned about the area, they returned home, but they did leave 20 men, along with an Angolian slave, to set up a base camp. This was Fort Christina, a few miles off the Delaware, on a major Indian trade route. It is approximately the site of the modern Wilmington, Delaware. 
They remained there two years, and in 1640, a second expedition arrived bringing more settlers. There were five expeditions between 1640 and 1644, and during these years the foundation of the colony was built. A series of settlements were constructed along the shores of the Delaware for 120 miles. It was thinly populated, much like Sweden itself. The colony would exist for around 20 years, and it is strange that it lasted so long, and would become part of the American identity. This is because, after 1644, the Swedes sort of lost interest in the expedition. Only four ships were sent from Sweden to the colony after 1644, and one of them was after it had been absorbed by New Netherland. How a colony, which never exceeded more than 400 people, survived for so long, unsupported, and surrounded by much more powerful colonies, is something of a mystery. But let's just get into it. Peter Minuit was the first leader of the colony, and he managed to secure from the Indians a 50-mile stretch of land along the western bank of the Delaware. He drew up a map and supervised the construction of the fort before making the voyage back to Europe to attract more settlers. Minuit had a plan for how to grow the population of the settlement. He was from Wessel, a town on the German-Dutch border. Things on the continent had been rather unstable with the Thirty Years' War, and the population was quite unsettled. There was a possibility that these people would be interested in heading over and forming a strong population base, but it wasn't to be. On his voyage back in 1638, Minuit died in a storm in the Caribbean. It was a huge blow. Back in Sweden, Fleming and Spiring were making their preparations for the second expedition. Despite hearing that their Dutch backers were pulling out because the venture had not made immediate profits. They had their supplies, they just needed people to go. Orders were sent out to the governors to attract artisans and their wives, but this was unproductive. The artisan class was happy and didn't want to be moved, so instead one of the governors proposed that, instead, they collect soldiers who had deserted the army or who had committed crimes. Also collected were a mixture of thieves, poachers, embezzlers, adulterers, debtors, and tax defaulters. You know, a good group. Exactly who you want to be the foundation of your empire. I joke, but they really didn't have much of a choice. Nobody wanted to go, so they would take who they could get. The majority of the population of the settlement was from Sweden and from Finland, which had long been under Swedish control. By 1655, Finns actually made up 40% of the colony's population. In addition to these were two other major groups of foreigners. One was the Dutch. The Dutch were highly involved in setting up the company, and a group of Dutch families from Utrecht arrived and set up a separate base about 18 miles to the north of Fort Christina, 
while to the south, a group of approximately 20 English families settled at Varkenskill, which would become Salem, New Jersey. This group was mostly made up of people from Yorkshire and Cornwall, in addition to an expedition by New Haven. I haven't actually mentioned New Haven yet, so I'll give a brief background to it here. New Haven was a Puritan settlement and short-lived colony, founded in 1638 on the Long Island Sound. It was a typical Puritan settlement, representative government, citizenship was church-based, yada yada yada. Although, an interesting quirk is that rather than basing its legal system upon England, as was typical, it instead based it upon the Bible. This gave it a rather unique character. It didn't have trial by jury because it wasn't a feature of Mosaic law. It would form its own little empire, spreading settlements across the Sound to Long Island itself, and it had a group of merchants which formed the English Delaware Company, who helped found Varkens Kill. It only survived as an independent colony for around 20 years, before being absorbed by Connecticut. Tangent over, back to New Sweden. New Sweden is surprisingly well documented. There were around 300 inhabitants, and we can identify over 200 of them, including 21 women, by name and where they came from. In addition to the Swedes and Finns, were Dutch, Norse, Danes, and even an Irishman. It was this diverse, mostly criminal, population that Minowit's replacement as governor, Peter Ridder, had to work with when he arrived in 1640. His actions all served the purpose of creating a stable foundation for the colony. Fort Christina had been damaged, so he repaired it. Clearings were made in the forest to grow vegetables and tobacco, and he secured friendship with the Lenapes, the local Indians. Ridder was well-intentioned, but not strong enough to force his will upon the colony. Ridder's take on the population was, and I quote, It would be impossible to find more stupid people in all Sweden. End quote. The population was unproductive, unskilled, liable to infighting, the Dutch and Swedes didn't get on, Dutch and English traders were constantly trying to extort them by charging outrageous prices for goods. It seemed like the colony was about to collapse, when Ridder was replaced by John Bjordsson Prince. He had served in the Swedish army very successfully, rising to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel during a series of wars fought in the Holy Roman Empire. In 1640, he was forced to surrender the city of Chemnitz, and then left Germany without reporting the loss or obtaining a position to leave. He was arrested, court-martialed, and exiled to Finland. He had a point to prove, and would hold the governorship of New Sweden for ten years. These ten years were highly frustrating for Prince. He constantly appealed for reinforcements, determined to salvage his reputation, but he was ignored. 
two ships arrived after 1644, and none after 1647. Prince was able to force his will on the colony. He was a large man, and I mean that literally, he weighed over 400 pounds, he drank heavily, had a fierce temper, and he took a highly authoritarian approach. There would be no opposition. He arrived in January 1643, and found that the population had only 105 adult males. It was small. All his supplies had rotted, and everybody wanted to leave. Relationships with the Lenapes were friendly enough, but were more complicated, with the Susquehannocks, who acted as middlemen between the colony and the Iroquois. Prince felt that he couldn't trust either people, not thinking them as any different to the Powhatans, who would massacre the Virginians in 1644. You remember that we covered this way back in episode 14, Berkeley. They were also not particularly interested in converting to Christianity, leading the Swedes to believe that they should be forced, and if they resisted, killed. Prince never got the reinforcements he wanted. In addition to campaigning in Germany, Sweden was preoccupied with a war with Denmark. This was followed by agricultural depression, commercial recession, and political struggle. The population was down to 183 by 1644, only 83 adult males. This was due to lack of recruitment, death, and people fleeing to other colonies or back to Europe. The Swedes considered the English to be their primary foes in the region. They forced Varkens Kill to change its allegiance to New Sweden, and formed an amicable relationship with the Dutch, so that they could mutually protect themselves against the English. They would have a rivalry with each other for the fur trade, but otherwise they would act as partners. For now, we'll cover the disintegration of that alliance next week. So, let's sum up. The settlement was weak, and only Prince, through sheer force of will, was able to keep it from falling apart, but he couldn't perform the impossible. Supplies stopped coming from 1646. There was another expedition, which would have helped in the late 1640s, but it was shipwrecked off the coast of Puerto Rico. Prince wrote in 1650 that there were less than 30 men in the colony that he actually trusted. I'll end this week with a quote from The Barbarous Years, by Bernard Balin. Quote, By 1653, the colony's small population of independent farmers was scattered in isolated woodland encampments that were only gradually becoming cultivated. But, while the free men were more or less content to continue clearing and planting, and proceeded to construct, besides a mill of traditional Swedish design, a makeshift brewery, and a small shipyard, the officials, servants, and soldiers were restless and fearful. The officials and higher status adventurers were prevented from fully exploiting the fur trade by Prince's restrictive rule. The servants, debilitated and sickly, worked under desperate conditions with little to look forward to, 
and the soldiers, guarding swampy wilderness forts, were bored, beset by lurking dangers, poorly equipped, and weakly armed. All three groups were eager to escape from the colony, and some began to think enviously of what they had heard of conditions in New Netherland and Maryland. End quote. Things were heading towards trouble, and in 1653, that is what we shall deal with in our next episode. If you've enjoyed today, then remember that you can visit us online to find more information, like maps, and you can also sign up for our membership program by clicking on the PayPal subscription button. If you want to continue the conversation, you can visit us on social media. Just check out the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast, and follow me on Twitter, at History Jamie. You can also send me an email if you have a question, comment, or concern. The address is thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.